Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast around simplifying for success. Simplification requires discipline and clarity of thought. This is not often easy in today's rapid-paced work environment. We've invited a few colleagues in data and information governance space to share their strategies and approaches for simplification. Today, we'll be talking to Alyssa Hutnick. Alyssa is a partner at Kelly Dry and Warren in Washington, D.C. Alyssa focuses on privacy, data security, and advertising law, including unfair and deceptive practices, electronic and mobile commerce, and data sharing. Alyssa is a past chair of ABA's Privacy and Information Security Committee. She was also the editor-in-chief of ABA's Data Security Handbook, a practical guide for data security for legal practitioners. We are going to talk about ad tech and the impact of privacy on ad tech. Ad tech is top of mind for many of us in the field of privacy, and we plan to cover a broad range of topics today. Hi, Alisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Of course, we can't talk about ad tech without discussing the recent ruling of the Belgian DPA against IAB. So we just saw the IAB Europe decision where IAB was ordered to appoint a data protection officer given a two-month deadline to get its tech into compliance. Maybe it's a good place to start to talk a little bit about, maybe provide some context into why that is happening and also, uh, you know, go a little bit more into real-time bidding. But do you want to talk a little bit about the IAB decision? Sure. Um, you know, it's a it's a concerning decision that has a lot of companies on edge because while we know that with GDPR and, and a lot of just the direction of enforcement on ad tech in Europe has been pretty intense, this decision, it's an inflection point on what is the future of digital advertising for companies in Europe? Uh, will they be able to engage in digital advertising? What will it look like? Um, and to your question, it really comes down to that programmatic real-time bidding advertising where to go into the bid stream, you have so many other parties, right? That's the whole point of of having those auctions to get the right price with the right ad at the right place. Um, And if TCF was the was the efficient way to to make that happen and still uh, at least intent with the intent was that it would satisfy um, GDPR's requirements. And, and so now the feedback is that's not enough. There's, there's too many, can't do rely on legitimate interest. And there's too many companies for that truly to be an informed consent. So it it's yes, IAB Europe is appealing it. Um, I'm very interested. They're having a, a, a town hall. So I'm curious to hear what some of the future plans are. There's the appeal path, but then there's also if the appeal doesn't work, what does that uh, future plan B look like to both respond to the decision um, and and have a a framework that would comply uh, in in Europe for digital advertising? So there's there's a, a lot more that's not known right now, which as a privacy lawyer, I think we've we're starting to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time because there are not a lot of clear answers. And, and it does mean making a lot of risk-based assessments and then having some grounding in the back that from a very practical lens, I don't think digital advertising is, is going to be outlawed in Europe, uh, but it is going to look different. And I think we're still trying to figure out what that means and, and what changes need to happen. 
So if you are an average consumer, or even if you are a company trying to kind of understand and unravel all of this, right? So how do you even explain the process, the data flows, I mean, that happens when it comes to digital advertising? Um, it is very complicated. So how do you even explain that? But before you explain, you have to understand. So how do you understand it so that you're able to explain it to an average consumer? Sure. So we are all busy. We're all super busy. <laughs> and when you yes. go, when you go to find search for something online, for example, um, I don't have a lot of time with what I'm looking for. And the the evolution of digital advertising has been to personalize both my searches and personalize the ads I see and the results and that whole experience to make that journey a more efficient for me, but also maybe expose me to options from companies I may never have thought of, right? Not the top three brands, but maybe, you know, some of the small businesses that otherwise I would not know. And in fact, it's exactly what I wanted. Um, and the way that I was able to shortcut that journey of finding just the right thing uh, that I was interested in uh, go, comes back down to the data that used from my search patterns and what I'm looking at and my travailing across the internet or, or apps or on TV, right? Multiple devices to get to that ultimate purchase point. Um, and that's a lot of data. And early on, I think there was just a cultural adjustment that if it's not your name, right? If it's not specifically your name, but it's an identifier, it's it's a cookie that's collecting some of your, your internet searches that that's not personal information. And I think just what is personal information, it's taken and it continues to take, I think, a lot of companies to, to open their eyes and say, yes, the privacy laws treat that as personal information, even if it's not a name. You really have to look at what is the data that we are collecting to create inferences, to create a profile, to create action, right? To motivate a certain event. And if that's tied to an IP address, it's tied to a household, it's tied to a person or a device, that the privacy laws treat that as personal information, even if it means in your role in the uh, supply chain of digital advertising that you may not be able to do everything that privacy law wants you to do because your role is just at this point and that's okay but it doesn't mean that privacy law doesn't apply. And so that's some of the, the tug and pull that I think I still face in a lot of the conversations that I have with, with companies who would say, it's a, it's a hashed identifier, it's not personal information. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a responsibility in that. And that's, that's an old way of looking at it. No, I agree. And I think you, you said it aptly, right? Like you basically said, there are some things that we've all sort of accepted as personal information, your name, your email address. Give, yes, I agree that it's a personal information, but this is a 14 digit hash code. How does it relate to, you know, Priya? No, it doesn't, but it does because of the fact that it can track Priya's behavior and behavior to a computer possibly know a lot more about Priya than maybe Priya herself knows, right? So that's a, that's an interesting point, right? And I think we haven't still, I, I do believe we haven't still fully accepted it. It's probably gaining some acceptance, but if you look at a lot of the decisions recently and a lot of back and forth, you know, I think we haven't still fully accepted that as personal information yet. Do you agree? 
fully agree. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, when I, I was not exaggerating when I said a good part of every day when I am talking with clients or I'm talking to opposing counsel and we're negotiating contract terms, we're, we're arguing over that, that an identifier in whatever use case is personal information versus non-personal information. That's a, a key point. When we talk about ad tech, there are so many things. It's it's impossible to even come up with what what would be the appropriate next thing to talk about. But CPRA sort of expects us to disclose as well as, you know, in less than 12 months, a consumer will have the right to opt out of cross-context behavioral advertising. What does that mean, cross-context behavioral advertising? And what would it take for somebody to truly opt someone out of cross-context behavioral advertising, do you think? Well, I might even take a step back because part of this journey has been with, in the U.S. at least, has been with CCPA and ad tech. And um, the way that CCPA California law had defined sale and the way that the California Attorney General's office has also interpreted the scope of that term, that many ad tech scenarios that involved interest-based advertising, um, particularly with real-time bidding, where it's going to come into contact with multiple parties who are not strictly your service provider the way that the, the law defined it, um, that that was a sale. And and that's that term sale is such a stigma uh, that many companies at first did not want to use. They, they came up with every which way not to say that they sold, but then you started to see, and, and part of this was in response to the attorney general's enforcement, that in this context, it's a sale. And in fact, a lot of companies disclosed it and many consumers did not bat an eye. Um, you know, it was transparency, but it did not change behavior. We didn't see huge opt-out rates as a result. So fast forward to that interpretation of sale to quite some time. And so you had CPRA, which was a ballot initiative, right? The language got drafted before it was really clear how the, uh, the AG's office was going to enforce. And now it has this new term, uh, share with cross-contextual uh, behavioral advertising that is intended to be ad tech. Uh, and, and the requirement that a business um, offers consumers the right to opt out of that. And that essentially means when they are um, engaged in any kind of profiling, that's not strictly within that one company's first party site. So once you go outside of that first party common branding company that and, and we are personalizing the advertising that they see across the internet uh, or other devices, that that's going to trigger this obligation, which just means you need to offer them the opportunity to opt out. And I think part of the, the struggle, and we're still trying to figure out is, do you attempt to harmonize that for operational ease with how Virginia and Colorado have interpreted interest-based advertising, where there are some nuance, there's, a, there's some distinct um, differences with those definitions, and yet companies cannot have you know, 21 flavors of opt-outs, uh, the real estate gets really cramped on the website. So I think that's one of the big questions up in the air is whether you go, you, you take the strictest interpretation or you have some uh, California approach and an everything else approach in the US. And I think the jury's still out really on what the norms, you know, where, where the masses are gonna go on that. 
So I'm going to backtrack a little bit on the sale. I, I, I almost gave up trying to kind of even talk about it, right? Because everybody's interpretation on what constitutes a sale was so different. And unless it was monetary, somehow mentally we could not kind of I don't know, conceptualize the idea of that you are selling personal information. And even now, I think that's a that's been a tough. Um, I know that the the AG's office has brought some enforcements. There has been some changes that you see. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about how the sale definition has changed, um, at least the points of contention, because um, it's been it's been an area that. Um, seems to have so many different interpretations and so many different points of views. Sure. Uh, so, so one, I will say I handled some of the AG investigations on this issue. So I, I had some first, <laughs> first party experience with how the office was looking at um, the issue. And it, it comes down to you, uh, the business, right? The, the company whose relationships they have and the way that the attorney general's office would look at it is, well, who are your service providers, the way that that is construed under CCPA and the regulations on service provider in particular, were really narrow about how personal information can be combined um, with respect to creating profiles. Um, so that it, it, it was so narrow and the, the guidance in, in the final statement of reasons, that's legal terminology for just more context uh, around the AG's view was that at least for um, analytics or targeted advertising, when you are sharing that, you know, through RTV, through real-time bidding in the bid stream, that's a lot of participants that you cannot be, by definition, you cannot they can't all be your service providers. Um, and, and so the intention there was if, if that's not a sale, then you're essentially not giving consumers a choice. And they would look to, well, you have this industry um, optional, right? A self-regulatory opt-out that, that businesses offer. So, so we are in fact offering a choice. Um, and the AG's view was, First of all, that's that's just an opt-out of interest-based advertising by those companies that choose to participate. Some of those don't even work. And by the way, it's not geared to be an opt-out of sale. And as the AG's office, we're enforcing CCPA, which means you as the business need to offer the option to opt out of sale. And they pushed in a lot of these investigations, looking at the actual contract terms for all of the partners that there was a connection with on digital advertising. And if it did not walk and talk and look like, like a true service provider, um, the view is that's a sale by default. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's hard when you're, if, if you've not had um, one of these investigations firsthand and certainly no company wants to volunteer and have one of those and you kind of want to stay with the herd and not be singled out, but I, it, it's really playing against the clock uh, that this is the direction privacy law is going. Um, and if, if you can get kind of beyond the weeds of the, is it CPRA, is it CCPA, is it Virginia? At the end of the day, it's offering consumers a choice to opt out, to not be tracked if they don't want it. Uh, and, and to do that in a way that's pretty user-friendly and effective for the consumer who wants that option. So let's, let's talk about 
we are jumping, but just, just so many topics. Um, one of the things that keeps coming up is that, oh, third-party cookies are going to be problematic. Real-time bidding is going to be problematic. Sharing of data is going to be problematic. So let's just make sure that we collect more first-party data because first-party data is going to be less problematic. What are your thoughts around first-party data? So I'm, I'm going to take those in two different steps. The, there's certainly a rush to first-party data because of some of the industry changes with, with Apple's transparency framework, with the ultimate deprecation of third-party cookies by Google, that that is. It's how do you get reach? Um, how are you going to get enough of an audience um, of by consumers who were not in an opt-in framework um, legally anyway? <laughs> uh, and so how, how do you do that other than having a large amount of first-party data and for those companies that do have a lot of first-party data, suddenly that data becomes really valuable to be their own advertising network, right, within that platform. So there's there's certainly some changing dynamics, um, and you see it in a lot of the, the mergers and acquisition space. But I think the, the second point you made on this demonizing of third-party uh that's it's a quick shortcut that I think is being used to rally for either more enforcement, new legislation, that that is the evil, uh, evil advertising. And I think it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate, right? It's, it's a result of probably the heyday of not having necessarily a clean supply chain and that there were companies who were using data and, and sharing it in all sorts of different ways that probably was not in consumers' best interest. And so there is some demonizing that's probably, you know, uh, supported in some in some cases. But it's also, like, if we think about the benefits, if done properly and done in a way that is um, reflective of privacy laws and consumer preferences, then we're back to my first example of having effective advertising that that show consumers things that they actually might want to see that they never would have seen before in a lot shorter time. So that there is still so much value to that. And, and that's beyond kind of the one platform, the two platforms, the walled gardens. Um, and I think that there's just from a competition standpoint and from just ultimate like consumer goods standpoint, there's so much value in that, but the, the bad rap needs to get overcome with good practices. And I think we're starting to see a lot more emphasis on what does a clean supply chain look like within AdTech, and that means each point in the chain has responsibilities. And I see it now. I see it in the AdTech players that that I'm now counseling that are reaching out to me for the first time. They have no in-house counsel, but they understand that for their to survive and actually be effective and successful, they need to be sophisticated on privacy. You cannot stick your head in the sand, and it's now not a nice to have, but it's a must have. You have to you have to know what you're dealing with and have the right contract terms and have a clean set of practices. I absolutely agree. And I think there will be a new normal. It's just I think we're seeing a lot of invalidation, but that's just um, right now it looks like, OK, doomsday scenario for all of ad tech. But in, in some ways, I can tell you, you know, it's, it's in the interest of the consumers um, as much as it's in the interest of the ad tech to be able to do an efficient search. We don't want to be profiled the way we were profiled, where somebody's um, constantly kind of looking at every uh, step that some consumer is making 
either online or even in the house through all of the IoT technologies. So it's probably gone too far and we, we need to sort of change so as to not be that invasive, right? So. Right. And, and the transparency that's happening now with the access request, I think it's really interesting when you find out what segments you are put in, how are you viewed by all of the slicing and dicing? And I had a conversation with somebody recently where they are, they mentioned, you know, we have so many different identities. We have our, what is your professional identity? What is your identity as a, as a parent? Um, what's your identity as a friend? As a, that Those are different kinds of searches, different components of your personality and your interests. And sometimes when all of this is connected, um, you don't even have the ability to, to have separation anymore. And there are some issues that come up with that. So I think this will be a really interesting time as there's a whole lot of sunlight put on just the, the segment practices and then what consumers are in those who are interested, at least enough, some people are not, uh, to, to do something about it. So let's talk a little bit about choices given to consumers, right? We've heard the term dark patterns again and again. And, you know, it started off with Europe and then you saw um, California AG mentioning it. And then you see it as part of um, the Colorado Privacy Act. And it's mentioned, I mean, FTC has brought this up and and, and there are um, obviously claims that also, you know, if you have dark patterns, then that could be considered deceptive trade, trade practices, which might be taking a little too far, because what, what if I have an annoying pop-up? It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, have a deceptive trade practice. But again, um, let's talk about dark patterns, what it means, what should we watch out for, and where do we sort of cross the line between uh, maybe not a very user-friendly environment to deceptive trade practice. So this is going to be really, really interesting because I've practiced consumer protection law for 20-something years now, and there's this common standard under deception law on is something clear and conspicuous. Um, and you need to have something clear and conspicuous when it's material to qualify the claim, right? So in the context of privacy, that if there is an important statement that needs to be made, um, and we are we have a disclosure that is attempting to qualify, or in the overall presentation of the claim, we want to make sure that there's not a deceptive takeaway. You look at the whole context, um, right? You look at colors, you look at fonts, font sizes, um, contrast. And so, what I what I think the big question is is what's the material claim right now, and, and what are we qualifying? Uh, we had the example in, in Europe with that Facebook and the Google decision where the choices, right, the, the cookie choices, you had to do more clicks uh, if you wanted the privacy choice. So that was extra steps. And then the language and the choices that were presented were not really clear to a consumer on what choice they were making. And so I think that concept, that's a fair concept. Uh, now, it does not mean that does it always have to be have parity, right? Do you want this more privacy forward choice or do you want the more personalization choice? Um, I don't think it's a dark pattern to talk about the benefits of, of the more personalization choice, right? So, I, I mean, we're going to have to see how that works. It's, it's a lot of a, a loud rallying cry, but I think the details on this are really going to matter, particularly in the U.S., because we've got a lot of case law on what's deceptive. 
And just calling it a dark pattern is good marketing from a regulator standpoint, but it doesn't mean that it's in fact unlawful. So I think where we are seeing some of the more recent case examples are in auto renewals. So in an advertising context or cancellation, making it really difficult to cancel uh, from, from a subscription recurring billing. And you, you definitely see some more dark patterns um, there. And a lot of when I get asked by clients, it's, well, compare what is the user experience. If they have to do 17 clicks and it's really like a find, you know, the treasure at the end of the map to like cancel versus the one click to, to sign up to the subscription, then that really distorted uh, parity is going to be a factor. And I think with privacy, similarly, if it becomes so difficult to find the option to exercise choice or change your choices, um, then I think we are going to see some more foundation that that is a dark pattern. Where I see somewhere where we're probably going to go with that is privacy preference centers. Um, and, you know, big companies have those, but those really weren't the norm. And I think the question is, can we make an easy, seamless, dedicated space where, where a consumer knows where they can go to both revisit and exercise their choices? So we can't talk about ad tech and not talk about Apple. Obviously, they have influenced a lot um, through many, many decisions from a privacy standpoint. And that's making a huge impact. Obviously, right now they're talking about encrypting privacy relay that encrypts the information sent from Safari browser to the website. They're talking about mail privacy protection, where it will be impossible for someone to track your IP address to know if you have received or you have read your emails. They're talking about maybe even allowing you to have a random uniquely generated email so that emails are not used as identifiers. And every time I log into my phone, I'm getting these messages saying, see, I have protected you from X, Y, and Z. And, and obviously, that also means that I have transparency now to understand what app is collecting what from me. So it's, it's making an impact on both sides. On consumer side, it's probably creating more awareness. And of course, it's probably giving you some choices in terms of more privacy aware technologies or choices. And then from the app provider side, it's creating a lot of confusion because it's blocked out quite a bit of targeting. So, you know, thoughts? Yeah, we're in the, we're in the toddler years of experimentation uh, and we don't know how this story ends. And there's antitrust, there's competition issues here because Apple is certainly not applying that same standard to its own collection and use and data, particularly for advertising purposes. So there's that. I think from a consumer experience, things are breaking down. Uh, so sometimes that actually has unintended consequences of not being able to log into certain sites, right? Just like not advertising purposes, but just functional. Um, sometimes uh, what I've heard some feedback is a lot of just from the privacy tech compliance tools that they're not even able to function because of some of the privacy steps that Apple has taken. And so um, the stickiness of a consumer's choice, privacy made choice with other companies may not hold because of the way that Apple is keeping certain information 
through the kind of the default VPNs, for example, and not being able to just recognize what state somebody is in. So I think there are a lot of things that with a little bit more time and a little bit more sunlight, I think are very much a, a topic of discussion and a worthwhile one on this balance between you hear this phrase, weaponization of privacy, um, that it sounds really good, but what comes, what's the, the, the consequence of some of these steps that may not have been intended or may not actually be that beneficial for consumers? And I'm, I am curious to hear more media cover just some of those points, because at the end of the day, competition and privacy are two sides of the same coin, and it's a balancing act. And right now we've been really slow on modernizing legislation, and so it's allowed um, one side to, to make a whole lot of decisions that certainly have impacts on the privacy side and the competition side. Um, what we don't know is there will be change. Uh, and, and how does this change all get reconciled um, when, when you have some of the big companies doing this type of self-preferencing? Any other closing thoughts or comments? You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, there's so much to talk about. So this is, it's a great, you know, little snapshot of conversation. And I bet if we were to talk a week or two weeks from now, there would be half a dozen headlines that have already upended whatever it was we talked about in this podcast. So it is a time that, you know, I think um, you, you just, you can't chase after every headline or uh, think that the sky is falling, right? The TCF decision is a big one, but there's a lot of stuff still happening. And I'm a, I'm an optimist in that there will be advertising. There will be good advertising. Um, it's going to look a little bit different in the future than it does today. And so it just means being really plugged in and being able to be flexible and, and have really good privacy counsel to, to help um, you know, enable your strategies. No, I agree. I was um, almost thinking that we should have these chats every week because there's so many topics. <laughs> there are a lot of topics. <laughs> So, so it's almost like, you know, um, you, you can keep doing this again and again and again, and we'll never run out of topics to talk about. Um, and it's fascinating to, to watch so much change, I think, like you said, and, and some things are good in a sense. I, I am an optimist too. I truly believe that we'll probably reach that balance uh, where it's not too intrusive but we have the right amount of advertising and personalization because one thing that is true is it's not like consumers don't want personalization. We don't have time. Um, you, you mentioned this. None of us have time and we want to be able to get to what we need to quickly, but we just don't want it to become creepy. That's right. the, that's the difference, I think. Yeah. And it's, I don't think we ultimately will have a legal definition for creepy, but that ultimately is the standard we're, we're always trying to reconcile, right? The law might not say don't do this, but should you do that uh, in this space where, where we really do have access to a whole lot of data that can be really powerful um, and, and judgment goes a, a really long way here. But uh, it was really good to talk to you. Thank oh, you so much. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.